Emo Phillips shared this story. He said, I was walking across a bridge one day and I saw a man standing at the edge about to jump off. So I ran over and said, stop, don't do it. Why shouldn't I, he said. I said, well, there's so much to live for. Like what, he said. Well, are you religious or are you an atheist? Religious. Me too. Are you Christian or Jewish? Christian. Me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? Protestant, he said. Me too, I said. Are you Episcopalian or Baptist? I'm Baptist, he said. Wow, me too. Are you Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? Baptist Church of the Lord, he said. Reformed Baptist Church of God? Me too. Are you Reformed Baptist Church of God Reformation of 1989 or Reformed Baptist Church of God Reformation of 1915? 1915, he said, to which I said, die, heretic scum, and pushed him off the bridge. (laughs) Excuse me while I get rid of this. It's funny, isn't it, where we draw our lines? Funny how words affect us so deeply. Funny to laugh, but not funny in personal experience. It's a good story. Because at every point we make a choice, don't we? Deeper and deeper and deeper. And we do this in our lives regularly. We decide who we are. We decide according to who is like us. How right we are. The more people that are like us, the righter we are. And we feel safe if we insulate ourselves by surrounding ourselves with people who are like us. So, if you're new here, you won't know that we're in a very interesting conversation as a community. We're in a conversation about the metal structure that is outside our front door about whether that metal structure should stay or should not go. It's a 55-foot cross. It was here with the building when we bought, when the building was, when we bought the building in 1997. The building was built in 1962. We don't know how long it's been out there. But it's been there for a long time. And we found out some new things as a community. One of the things that we found out was that this structure itself may not be quite as safe as we thought it was. But, Whether it was or wasn't, that isn't what motivated the question. What motivated the question was, is this the right symbol for us? And we've engaged in this conversation, and last week we had a town hall meeting about it. And we, being myself and the board, learned a lot. We had about 30 people who came and attended and shared their hearts in a really open and deep-felt way about what the cross means to them, both from the positive and and uh, from the limiting points of view. And it was a good conversation, and I, I, am, I am deeply grateful that this community is strong enough and open enough and loving enough to have this conversation. I think it speaks to who we are and what we're doing here. And a couple of things came out of that conversation that told me that I have clarification to do. I have something new to share or something old to share in this particular case. 
One of the things that has come from this conversation is a concern about who we are and whether who we are is becoming something different than who we were. So this is an opportunity for us to look at the heritage and history that is the Unity Worldwide Movement. And I want to start with a letter that I read to you in 2011. This letter was written by Paula Koppel, who's a Unity minister, and it was pasted on, it was posted uh, as a blog on the Unity Worldwide Ministries website. And uh, it was posted on the 80th anniversary of Myrtle Fillmore's death. And Myrtle, for those of you that are new here, Myrtle and Charles Fillmore founded this movement and they founded it as the result of miraculous healings they experienced through prayer. They didn't set out to build a church. They simply had a God experience and people around them asked how they did it and they shared it and their sharing became more sharing and more sharing became us. So Paula Koppel writes, wondering what Myrtle would say if she were able to communicate to us from wherever she is 80 years after her death. She begins with a quote from Myrtle, her death, how to let God help you. Get busy using the truth you know. Love those about you in a practical way. Pay no attention to what others are doing insofar as to make comparisons. Bring forth your own joyous world of love, friendship, beauty, and plenty. God is giving everything required to build such a world. There is within you the God-given intelligence to build such a world. Get at it. Paula writes, Thursday, October 6, 2011, 2011, marks the 80th anniversary of the death of Myrtle Fillmore, the greatly loved and revered mystical co-founder of Unity. I have often wondered what Myrtle would say if she reappeared on the scene here at Unity. What would she think of what's going on? I think it might go something like this. Hello, dear friends. For eight decades, I have been observing Unity from my new abode in the ethers. Today, on the anniversary of having my having left the earthly plane, I'm returning to bring you a special message. I notice that you often say that when people discover unity for the first time, they feel like they've come home. So today I would like to suggest that you come home to yourself. From where I sit, it appears that you have lost your way and forgotten who you are. I hear the impassioned debate about whether unity is Christian or not. I witness confusion over how unity can praise the examples of Jesus and still honor all paths to God. I see the worry over whether the unity movement will live on. And I say to you, come home, unity. You are getting distracted by the ego and caught up in the outer and forgetting to practice the very truth you seek to share. The important thing is not whether unity calls itself Christian, but whether you are doing your work to achieve Christ consciousness. Are you turning within to discover and develop the Christ in you, your hope and glory? This is your most important task, and it is the one that will ultimately have the greatest impact on the world. Instead of asking whether unity is Christian, ask yourself whether Jesus set an example you admire and want to emulate. If the answer is yes, then speak of him with love and pride and aim to elevate your consciousness according to his example. 
If the answer is no, do not feel obligated to speak of Jesus at all. The point was never to worship Jesus the man, but to learn from what he, and for that matter, all spiritual masters, taught. I know you've wondered how Charles and I could start a movement of practical Christianity while also honoring all paths to God. It's really very simple. In our estimation, to follow the teachings of Jesus is to be the lover of all humanity. When Jesus broke through boundaries to associate with outcasts, the disenfranchised, the sick, the poor, the Samaritans, women and others, he was boldly declaring the kingdom of God for everyone, regardless of their class, status, belief, and we might say religion. He could just as easily have been reaching out to Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, and Sikhs, for Jesus beheld the divine in all people. And so it is that unity follows the teachings of Jesus while recognizing each individual's right to choose their own path. And at the root of it all is unconditional love. That is what is important. Not whether you choose Jesus or Buddha or Muhammad as your role model or describe yourself as Christian, Buddhist, or Muslim, as I recently read in Unity magazine. The label doesn't matter. What matters is that you open your heart to the timeless truth that we are all expressions of God. Then speak that truth with courage and conviction. And never relinquish your inquiring mind for anyone else's statements or beliefs, even ours. Everything Charles and I did, our prayers, our lectures, our literature, were intended to point you to the source within your own spiritual consciousness. So when you speak to others, remember that you are sharing your truth, not a codified, dogmatic, prepackaged truth. Remember, too, that it is your life that is the message far beyond the words that you speak. If you lose your way, and you will from time to time, remember the sacred power of the silence. It is where you find God. It holds the answer to every question. Turn to it regularly and your path will be made clear. Live by the wisdom of that loving, eternal presence as individuals, as an organization, as a community. It is the light that shines for you. There's so much about what Charles and Myrtle taught that gets mixed up in the world that we live in today, in our need to fit into a world. And I often think, if it was 1889, I would look for a familiar language to try and explain what was going on with me. If I were able to heal myself of tuberculosis the way Myrtle did, or grow my leg, which had been short my entire childhood, to the point that I walked on a crutch, Or a cane. But to grow my leg to the point that I eventually walked with just a slight, slight, from three and a half inches to a slight lift in my shoe. If I had to explain that in 1889 to the people around me, I would use the language of Christianity. Because I would find the language of miracles there. I would find a way to interpret through that language. And I would teach it in a practical way. And people around me might call it practical Christianity. I'm not sure whether I would. But people around me might. 
because it would make it accessible to them. The miracle that I was experiencing. We get caught up in what we call ourselves. And we get caught up in what other people call themselves. And we assume that we know what that means. What I love about Emilio Phillips, uh, Emo Phillips story is that they started out way up here and they really didn't mean the same thing at all. We could, everyone in this room, label themselves Christian and every single person have a different meaning. Have a different, a different story as to why it was important, a different history. And the fact is we don't all call ourselves by that name. We use many different names. And hopefully it doesn't matter. Hopefully what we call ourselves is not nearly as important as who we are. How we walk. Whether what we do together has value when we walk outside these doors and we live it. That's what Myrtle and Fillmore taught. Myrtle and Charles taught. That it's not good enough to just believe it. We have to live into what we say we believe. So we come here on Sunday mornings and I've been talking a lot about your time. Jeannie, would you turn the heat down just a little? Is it warm in here? I see some of you fanning. We've been talking the last several weeks about the hours that you devote in your life to come here. By the time you get up and get dressed and come down on Sunday morning and and stay for the service and have a cup of coffee afterwards and visit with friends and maybe even go out to breakfast, a couple of hours each week, eight or ten hours a month, more if you volunteer and are involved on a deeper level, We've been talking about the value of time since the beginning of the year. About what time means and how you invest it. And you are choosing to invest it here. And I invite you to consider what you're investing in and whether it's the name or the experience that matters to you. And I invite you to consider how you use your words. We are in the month of relationship. And we are engaged in a powerful conversation, a really glorious, powerful conversation that many congregations would not be mature enough to have. A conversation about what symbols represent us outside our building. And in that, in order to move forward in that conversation, we have to know what we're looking for inside the building. Because what's outside the building really doesn't mean anything if we don't know what we're doing inside the building. It has no value. It's a simple metal structure. It begins to have value when we examine personally for ourselves what it means for us. When we're clear in our own hearts and can speak to that with each other, With no need to judge someone who feels differently than we do. So it's very easy in the process of having a conversation like this to make statements that are hurtful to other people. And I've heard a few of them over the last week. And that's why we're having this conversation, because none of them were meant to be hurtful. One was... I don't think I can come anymore if we take the cross down. 
which was huge for me. What has that got to do with what happens in here? Nothing changes. That doesn't change who we are, what we teach, what we believe, or your ability to believe the way you believe. Changes nothing. Some people would like space. Some people would like a new cross. Some people would like something more multi-faith. We have lots of options and lots of time to discuss that. But I ask you, if what is on the outside of our building affects your ability to come in here to give that deep consideration, I hope that what brings you into this building are the hearts of the people here. That that has value and worth in the world. Nothing will change, whether we change the structure or not, about the teachings of Myrtle and Charles. And let me tell you something that Charles said, and I'm sorry that I can't quote the source. I have someone looking for it. This was comes from the Unity of Central Oregon website, and the person who put it together is looking for the source for me. It says, according to Charles Fillmore, the name Unity was adopted in 1895, denoting that Unity was devoted to the spiritualization of all humanity and took the best from all religions. He said the following, he, Charles Fillmore, said the following regarding the eclectic belief system of Unity. We have studied many isms, many cults. People of every religion under the sun claim that we either belong to them or have borrowed the best part of our teachings from them. We have borrowed the best from all religions. That is the reason we call it unity. Unity is not a sect, not a separation of people into an exclusive group. Unity is the truth that is taught in all religions, simplified, so that anyone can understand and apply it. Students of unity do not find it necessary to sever their church affiliations. So what we're talking about when we talk about unity being an inclusive spiritual spiritual path, this is not new. This does not change anything that ever came from unity. It is the very foundation upon which we grew. And Charles Fillmore spent 30 years of his life studying the Bible, looking at the allegory that it is, exploring the stories, finding meaning, and teaching universal principles through a tool that people were familiar with, a tool that they could use. And it's important for us to understand what's being offered to us, that as much as we'd like to believe we're on the cutting edge here at Unity in the Rockies and we're doing something nobody else is doing, We're doing something that Charles and Myrtle were teaching more than a 100 years ago. We're simply, consciously, with great awareness, doing it. And part of the question that comes from that is how shall we represent ourselves to the world? When they walk by, what will they see? When they drive by, what will they see? Right now, they see our cross and they see our coexist sign, our coexist flag. Both of those are powerful. We fly that coexist flag because it was a gift with great meaning. And every single week, either in service or during the week, somebody walks in and asks about it because it's rare. We had a fireman stop this week and come in because he wanted to know what it was about. It says something about us that we are engaged in the concept that we might coexist. That in this place where we are growing community, 
that we can love each other for who we really are and learn from each other. And perhaps there's more to do, more coaching to do on how to do that and how we coexist. So we begin to coexist by first accepting that we each of us have a different opinion a different interpretation of what is holy and sacred. We could all be reading the same book and we'd still have a different opinion. And that is right and good (laughs) that we do. As long as it allows us to walk in a way that is sacred and holy on the planet. We talk a lot about the example that Jesus is because he was love and unconditional love and, and unconditional love and forgiveness and healing Things that are really needed in the world that we share. And so to practice those things here, how we talk becomes important. It's a different thing to say, I feel this way about God. Or to say, I'm Christian and if you're not, there's something wrong. Or I am Buddhist and if you're still Christian, there's something wrong. Or I am Hindu. Or I don't call myself anything and if you do, there's something wrong. Or I'm atheist. I come here because I like the people. And if you're coming for more than that, you're crazy. There are people here who are atheists. There are people here who are evangelical Christian. There are people here who are Buddhist and Hindu and pagan. And people who would call themselves by many collections. Many people who hold the word Christian very dear. So let us honor each other. As we choose our labels. And perhaps consider not having one. Perhaps consider what would happen if we communicated with one another about how we experience God. How we work to walk as the God, the the indwelling God that we are. How we take what we gain here in in a holy and sacred way out into the world. What if we were nameless? What if there was no word for us? Would it change what you believe in your heart today? No. Neither will it whether we change the symbol or not. It will change nothing about what's in your heart unless you associate something with the symbol that says who you believe the world has to believe we are. This is a big grown-up adult spiritual conversation, isn't it? It makes us look at who we were taught we had to be and what kept us safe. And I believe that in 1889, it was probably pretty safe for the Fillmores to teach practical Christianity. And I think, I think it's safe in our world. One of the things that came up in our town hall meeting last week was great fear about how the rest of Colorado Springs would perceive us if we removed the cross. What would the perception be? It's an interesting consideration how important that is for you. And it might be. Please don't hear this as my judgment that your consideration is wrong. We should always consider whether we're safe. We should always consider what we believe. We should always go to what is true. When we know what is true for us, we can consider changing our mind. But until we know what's true, we can't. So please don't hear that as a judgment. It is me challenging you, inviting you, welcoming you to your fear. To consider, are you 
having a struggle with being unity when you go out there? Or have you wrapped some idea around what unity is? Because for us here, you don't have to be anything. Just come. Bring your open mind. Bring your open heart. Have some coffee. Share a warm conversation. Make some new friends. Gather in a way that makes life easier when we live it. Gather in a way that you pick up tools that you can actually implement in your life, that you can really use, so that your day-to-day life feels guided and holy, so that you recognize the sacred you are, so you can release your own judgments about yourself, because all of our judgments about everybody else stem from, first, our fears and worries about ourselves. This is the great work we're doing in this conversation. It is the beyond the conversation, much beyond the conversation about the metal structure. It is a much deeper piece of work that we're doing. And I want to assure every one of you that we will do this slowly and carefully and that every person will be heard and that if you believe that you can't come here and say what is true for you, that is a belief that you should question. Your opinions, your deep concerns, your heartfelt desires are welcome here. Share them. Share them with each other so we can understand what is important to us as a group. So that we can make choices that are good for all of us. And so that we can honor not only who we are today, but the deep historic roots that are unity. These things are exactly the same. Nothing is changing except our own personal questioning and our own personal growth. I have some quotes for you on the topic of unconditional love because as we move towards our our deeper understanding of these roots, we know that that is one of the primary teachings of Jesus. I just have to find them now. It's what happens when I don't use my notes. I can't tell my reading from my sermon. There they are. Stephen Kendrick wrote a book called The Love Dare. In it he says, The only way love can last a lifetime is if it's unconditional. The truth is this. Love is not determined by the one being loved, but rather by the one choosing to love. Aberjani said, the fire that we call loving is too strong for human minds, but just right for divine human souls. Chris Jamie wrote a book called Salome, In Every Inch, In Every Mile. Self-righteousness is much like spiritual egocentricity. It constitutes a secular type of love that thrives under conditionality, one in which is only existent after an individual meets that adopted standard of the condemner. condemner. Oppositely, unconditional love is a holy love. Gregory Boyle in Tattoos on the Heart says, close both eyes and see with the other one. Then we are no longer saddled by the burden of our persistent judgments, our ceaseless withholdings, our constant exclusions. Our sphere has widened and we find ourselves quite unexpectedly in a new, expansive location 
in a place of endless acceptance and infinite love. Robin Myers wrote a book called Saving Jesus from the Church, How to Stop Worshiping Christ and Start Following Jesus. Indeed, a quick glance around this broken world makes it painfully obvious that we don't need more arguments on behalf of God. We need more people who live as if they are in covenant with unconditional love, which is our best definition of God. And finally, 1 John. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God and whether, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God.